Second Peter today, and in the church, we have read the entire segment, the whole book, aloud, together. And maybe you wonder, well, why do we read it aloud? Well, Paul told Pastor Timothy way back when in 1 Timothy to devote himself to the public reading of the Word of God, and so that's what we do. And when we read the Word, we also stand, and you might wonder, well, why do we stand when we read the Word? Well, that's a tradition that goes back at least 2,500 years to the time of Nehemiah, perhaps even 3,400 years to the time of Moses. And so we like to be in that tradition and honor the Word of God to stand when we read it. And so would you stand with me right now? And if you don't have a Bible, you can use the Pew Bible to follow along as I preach, and that would be page 1019. And if you don't have a Bible to own for yourself, you'd be more than welcome to take that Bible as our gift to you. So here is the reading of God's Word in preparation for the sermon today. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters." There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away by the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. You may be seated. One day I got a phone call. It was a voice that I recognized, a very dear friend of mine from seminary days. He was pastoring a church in Arkansas. It was the day after Wednesday night ministries, and he said, Al, i got to tell you, something just terrible happened last night. I was in the ministry with my family at the church when I got the phone call that our house was fully engulfed by flames. And so we went in there, and I watched my house burn to the ground. He said, you know, I have to be honest with you, there were some things that were really important there that we lost. But the things that meant the most to us were the pictures and all the memorabilia that we had when I was a kid and when we got married to Patty and, and all the kids growing up and all those things. And then my seminary library and all my seminary notes are gone. Those things are irreplaceable. And as I read the text today and I read Peter's words that all these things are thus to be dissolved, burned up, your stuff and mine someday. I had to think of Marlon and Patty's situation as a preview of what's coming. Now, don't be too alarmed that your stuff and mine will be burned up. We're going to put this in perspective today. And so last week, Pastor Chris opened the subject of the second coming of Christ and the end of the world. And that was the first part of chapter 3, but he only got halfway through. Peter has more to say. He couldn't finish the conversation last week. But before we wrap up the subject of the end of this era of life and the coming of the Lord and the new day, I want to review for you what's in 2 Peter. 
It is so simple to understand he only deals with four topics. And if you can think of these four topics from the beginning chapter 1 to the end of chapter 3, you've got it all down. You can think it through in your own heart. You don't even need to have the Bible to read it all the way through. And so here are the topics, bedrock stuff. Topic number one, growing to spiritual maturity by adding seven vital qualities to your faith. First half of chapter one. Topic number two, fully accepting the scriptures as God's word coming only from him through the instrumentation of godly men. That's the second half of chapter one. Topic number three, understanding false teachers who twist the scriptures and live ungodly lives and getting out of their way. That's all in chapter 2. And finally, the topic we're on today started last week, finished today. Fully believing in the second coming of Christ, the end of this world, and the new world to come. All of chapter 3. So let's finish what Pastor Chris started last week. Verses 1 through 10. He talked about the coming of the Lord, the last days, the, the great meltdown that's going to happen, and the seeming delay like, oh, this is never going to happen. And we were reminded not to believe the naysayers. This is truth. It's going to happen with certainty. And so understanding these things, we come to verse 11. If we know the Lord is coming, if we know the end of this world as we now know it will be destroyed, if we know a new heaven and a new earth is coming, so What? What effect should it have in our personal lives? What's the practical application? So that's to what we turn to today. And so the big idea is in in this chapter, this part is this. The reality about the end of the world should change our lives. The reality about the day of the Lord coming, this world passing away, a new heaven and a new earth, should change our lives. In fact, in verse 11, Peter says it flat out. Since all these things are to be dissolved, what sort of people should we be with regard to holiness and godliness? And that is a good question for the American church because we're having a hard time with godliness and holiness. A few years ago, I listened to a CD by a Christian speaker who was dying of cancer. He said, it changed my life. When I realized that I was going to die and I didn't have a lot more time, he said, I began to live life with death on my shoulders. And it changed the way I live. And then he went one step further. And he said, we all ought to live that way. As though death were on our shoulders because it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And so Peter is saying, With the knowledge of the end of the world sitting on our shoulders, how should we live each day? And he answers that question in our text today. And I've distilled it into five coaching words from Peter on how we can live our lives because of the coming end of the world and the new one to come. And so let me give you these five coaching words. I hope you'll grab a hold of them. I hope it will change the way you view your life and how you live it. Coaching word number one is transformation. The reality of the end of the world should move us away from sin's control in our lives to the character of God formed in our lives. Transformation. Now, do you know where the easiest place on earth is to live a godly life, a holy life. Do you know where that is? It's a church. 
to live that way at church is easy. But we don't see most people at church as they really are. Most people don't live like they live at church the rest of the week. I'd love to be a mouse in some of your homes and maybe you in mine because we don't live the same way in our private life. And if you call yourself a Christian, Peter is saying, live every day in your private life, in your home, in your factory, in your office, in your school, in your neighborhood, as though the end of the world were on your shoulders. But here's the irony in all of this. Chapter 2, Peter says, there is a definite connection between false teaching and ungodly living. I am here to tell you there's also the reality of good teaching in churches and ungodly living. And so Peter is reinforcing this. He goes to verse 14 to his audience and says, since you're waiting for the end of the world, wake up. Be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Being conscious of the end of the world should change the way we live. Now, perhaps you picked up on a key word in verse 14, the word diligence. That word means to take pains, to make every effort. And so he's saying, seeing that the world is going to melt away with fervent heat, and it's going to be gone. He's saying, work hard. Be diligent to rid the spots and blemishes of your character and your conduct from your lives. And he's saying, we have a job to do. God just doesn't do that automatically. We cooperate with the Holy Spirit to get rid of those spots and blemishes, that ugly sin that is in our lives. <clears throat> I've been in a small group for perhaps a dozen years back in Erie. <clears throat> and one night we got together as small groups, and we all brought our wedding albums, and we wanted to hear each other's wedding stories. And so one of the couples had a very interesting story, and it went like this. Four days before their wedding, Diane came down with a huge cold sore right by her mouth. It was about the size of a dime. She thought it looked like a half a dollar. <clears throat> it was so big. Talk about diligence. For four days... She did everything she could to get rid of that blemish so Gary wouldn't see it on the wedding day. <clears throat> and finally, she had one recourse left. They call it makeup. And so she put the makeup on, and I looked at the pictures, and she was diligent. She made a, a, a very good, did a very good job in get, getting rid of that because she didn't want her groom to see a big, huge spot and blemish on her face at the wedding. My friends... That should be our aim as well, to work on making ourselves beautiful for our groom, the Lord Jesus Christ, to remove the spots and wrinkles and the blemishes we already know that we have. Why? Because Peter says, Jesus is coming again, and this world will pass away, and we'll be with him, and he wants Jesus to be happy with the one that he marries, the church. And so I ask, do you know what your spots and wrinkles and blemishes are? Do you care about them? Are you willing to think about getting rid of them in any way you possibly can? Are you thinking about the reality of living differently than the world lives? Because to live like the world is to fill your face with all kinds of spots and blemishes. And I want you to know that spots and blemishes are not the marks of a Christ follower. And so people of Old North, I beg you. Since you now know how the world will end, 
Peter says, be diligent to remove the spots and blemishes of sin from your life so that you will be found beautiful by Jesus when he comes. And what a powerful incentive to know that because the end is coming and we will be with Jesus, transformation means to get rid of the spots and the blemishes that we now have. But Peter goes on in this coaching to a second word. The second word is anticipation. We should be eagerly looking forward to the end of this age so that the new world can be created. Now this idea of anticipation or the word wait is so prominent in Peter's talking here in verses 12 through 14. He uses the word wait or anticipate three different times in those verses. And that Greek word wait basically means to pass time eagerly expecting something specific to happen. I tell you, I saw this word anticipation firsthand this week in my own life. And I have permission from Ben, my son, to share this. Many of you know that I've had a son, Ben, in jail the last five months. Three weeks ago, he was informed that he'd be leaving prison in Erie and going to a rehab center this past Tuesday, October 7. And one night he called from the prison. He says, Dad, I don't know that I can wait that long. I'm so anticipating getting out of here after five months. I won't know what to do. I can't wait. This is anticipation. So there Marie and I were at quarter of three on this past Tuesday at the prison door waiting. And that door opened and out came my son into my and my wife's waiting arms. We embraced and we said a few words. And then he was whisked away to rehab. That's what we're talking about here. This kind of anticipation that we're thinking constantly, this isn't all we have. This isn't as good as it gets. There is a day coming and we can hardly wait until Jesus will come again. What are we talking about here? Eagerly waiting. Verse 12, verse 13, verse 14, that word used over and over again. Wanting the day of God to come when this old world will pass away and the new will come. But I know, I see young people up in the balcony, and you might be thinking what I thought when I was your age. Yeah, I want the Lord to come, but I want to get married first. I understand that. And I know that some of you are thinking, wait a minute, how can I be looking forward to all that I have and this whole world passing away in fire? Come on. I mean, I've got a 69 Camaro. Do I want to see that sucker burn? Well, let me tell you what Peter's doing. First, he's teaching us not to get wrapped up in all our stuff. And that whatever our stuff is, is going to range from godless to temporal. And that that's going to go. And whatever we has, he is, have, he's saying, hold it loosely. Don't grab it like that's all there is in life. There's something more. And the second thing Peter is telling us is that we aren't to anticipate the destruction with glee. That's not what he's talking about. Yeah, I get to see a big fire. He's talking about what follows the fire. The anticipation of the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. And you see this unprecedented fire. There's never going to be anything like this until that time comes when the earth will melt away with fervent heat. It'll be gone and the new world will come in. And I can get into that. What am I talking about? What am I anticipating? I can tell you, 
a world with no more sin, no more immorality, no more car crashes, no more bad weather, no more sickness, no more disease, no more murder, no divorce, no debt, no depression, no injustice, no death, no crying. It'll put the tabloids and entertainment uh, tonight out of business. When Jesus, King of King, comes and takes control forever, that's what we're looking for, and that will come. And so I ask you today, as you sit there in that seat, what are you eagerly waiting for? Your next paycheck? Getting out of the house away from your mom and dad? Getting married? Another job? Your next car? Graduation? The next blockbuster movie? Christmas? Retirement? I mean, it's okay to wait for those things, but they can't overshadow the big thing that we wait for. It is a new day when Jesus takes control. Now, before I move on to the next coaching word, you might be saying, hey, Pastor Al, you, you got some passion about that. How do we know it's true? Hey, listen, I want to tell you how I know that everything I'm talking to you about right now is true. It is in verse 13. Peter says that this is a promise God made himself. And if what I'm talking about does not come to pass, God is a liar. <laughs> and I'm not willing to go there, are you? So let's move on to the third coaching word, salvation. We should see our current era as God's loving patience towards the lost. In verse 15, Peter returns to a truth that, he's, that he raised in verse 9. The reason Christ has not yet returned to this earth. It's simple. God is patiently waiting for more to come to salvation, to repentance, and to escape judgment day. And so here in verse 15, we're told to regard the patience of the Lord as salvation. Do you know that the end of the people who do not know Christ is terrible? Do you know that those who aren't born again of the Spirit of God will abide under judgment and everlasting fire in hell? That's what the Bible teaches. And as we saw in verse 9 last week, God doesn't want that to happen to anybody. He said God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so the Lord delays the coming conflagration so that more and more people might come to know him. Now let me test this out. How many of you, and I want to see raised hands if you feel comfortable enough to do that, have come to Christ within the last five years, that you've come to know Christ as your Savior within the last... Would you raise your hand, anybody? You've come, yes, I see some hands. Okay. All right, you've come to know Christ within the last five years. How would you feel if he came back in 2009? You'd be lost. You'd be headed towards hell. There would be no remedy. But he waited, and these last five years have come about because there's been many, many people around the world, just like the hands that went up, have found the Lord Jesus. Now I've got another question to test this out. And I want to see some hands. How many of you have relatives, friends, neighbors, and associates who don't know yet, who don't yet know the Lord Jesus? May I see your hand? Yeah, yeah. Do you want him to come back today while that condition exists? Not me. And so here we are. He's saying the reason the Lord hasn't come back yet is he waits and waits and waits for the day of salvation. Now he says something very interesting in verse 12. He says the church can hasten, hurry, or speed up the coming of the day of God. Now that's hard to understand. I mean, that's a little tricky. 
can we actually as a church have something to do, church worldwide that is, uh, with the coming of Christ? Can we shorten the period of the patience of God? Are you saying that God doesn't have it all mapped out and it's all in concrete already, there's future and so forth? Well, very interesting questions. I can't say I have the final answer, but I tend to know where I come down on the subject. I come down on the side of what Peter says, is that the church does have a bearing on when the Lord will come back. For you see, if the church of Christ is committed to the gospel and reaching out with the good news of Christ for salvation, the faster the gospel will spread around the world and reach every people group, and the sooner Christ will come back. But if the church just takes a laissez-faire point of view, if they say, you know, we're a nice country club and we're going to mature and within our own walls and we don't really care about the people around outside the walls of the church, that will slow down the whole movement and delay the coming of Christ. Friends, I want you to know what God is about in this age is one thing and one thing alone. He is patiently awaiting your relatives, your friends, your neighbors, and your associates around the world to come to Jesus Christ. And when the salvation of those multiplied millions of people happen, he will break through the clouds. And so the current patience of the Lord is coaching word number three, salvation. That leads us to coaching word number four. And I think you're going to like this word. It's complexity. Coaching word number four is complexity. We need to recognize that end times matters are intricate and complicated and difficult to understand. I am so happy for verse 16 that Peter put it in here. It really makes me feel good that he did because here we are, an apostle saying that parts of the Bible are hard to understand. I want you to see what he says about the apostle Paul in this regard. Peter says in verse 16 that Paul also wrote about some of the matters that Peter writes about. And then Peter says, here it comes, I love this. There are some things in them, Peter's, uh, Paul's writings, that are hard to understand. Anybody happy about that? And Peter says, "Woo, I got a problem here. I'm glad the apostle, because I've often had problems. I mean, Pastor Chris, you know how it is when we study for the word and we get into situations. And say, what does that mean, Paul? Peter's saying the same thing here. And so the Greek word that he uses, hard to understand, means ambiguous and perhaps obscure. And there are some matters in the Bible that are that way, especially, especially matters about prophecy. So let me give you a little advice. Both Peter and Paul give us some very reliable information about the last days, and we can understand pretty much of what they say. But there are other matters there that aren't so clear. They are complex. They are confusing. Watch out for those who claim via book, radio, TV, platform, pulpit, or whatever, that they've got it all figured out. Watch out for those who come to you with their charts and their dates. Watch out for those who have all the answers about the obscure events and vague passages in the Bible. We've seen too much of that in our day and then Peter says something to caution us in verse 17 about this. He said difficult passages like he mentioned in Paul are breeding grounds for false teachers. And he says that those kinds of passages draw the ignorant and the unstable to twist them. 
That's very interesting. Paul talks about the false teachers who come there, said they're ignorant and unstable. And guess what they think of themselves? They think that they're enlightened. They think they got this track to God and they're going to come and tell God's people as they twist the scriptures. And so you've got to take care, he says, not to be enticed and carried away by people who peddle their end time matters with such certainty that they even claim to know the hair on the wart on the nose of the beast of the sea in the book of Revelation, what that means. (laughs) And some of them do. Friends, if you listen to and follow those kinds of people, Peter says, this is what will happen to you, verse 17. You'll be in danger of losing your own stability, and you will drift slowly from a firm and secure foundation into a wobbling and falling in your Christian walk. So be very, very careful. But notice this quickly. Peter didn't say that Paul's writings were impossible to understand. How many of you know that when it comes to Bible study, it requires some digging and some sweat? I mean, we just don't have instant pablum here and McDonald's Bible studies. we got to get in there sometimes. And the more you get in and study, the more things are clarified under the Spirit's leading. But you know, when it comes to some of this stuff, as Daniel was told and others, some of these matters are sealed until the end of time and false teachers want to trump that and say they know, Uh uh-uh, simply isn't true. So coaching word number four concerning the day of the Lord is that there's a certain level of complexity involved, which now catapults me to the last word, the last coaching word of Peter. He ends the book where he began on the subject of growing, and so coaching word number five is maturation. While we wait for the day of God, we're to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. His final word. Having said all that I said, brothers and sisters, grow in Christ. Verse 18, it says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, what does it mean to grow in grace? It simply means to grow up, to grow up in Christ. A few weeks ago, I talked to you about trying to visualize a 50-year-old person who's been a Christian for maybe 30 years and visualize them up here in a diaper and in a binky. Uh, That's not what we're called to be. When we're 40 years in Christ, we need to be mature to grow. We need to break free from the sinful natures that pull us in and follow Christ. So how do we grow in the Lord Jesus? Oh, I can spend a year on this. In fact, We've been talking about this all year, haven't we? Growing up together. It's a lifelong thing. But let me give you a few tips, a few ways that we can do that. Regular worship. Uh, Don't be like most of American Christians who come once or twice a month. You need to be here every week. Confession of sin. Oh, we love to praise the Lord, but we don't confess that much. Regular reading of the Bible, study of the Bible, prayer and meditation, doing good deeds, and start at home. Would you do that? Start at home. Forsaking sinful ways, being generous with our resources, obeying the commands of Jesus, all that will help us to grow while we wait for the day of the Lord. But he also coaches us not only to grow in grace, but to grow in the knowledge of Christ. The knowledge of Christ. What's that about? Simply, 
Our job on earth is to come to know Christ in as much fullness as we possibly can to know more and more about him. And I want you to know, if you had a hundred lives to live, you'd never learn all there is to know about Jesus Christ. You might wonder, well, where do you get this knowledge about Jesus? I'm firm on this. I'm really firm on this. There's only one place to get your knowledge about Jesus Christ. It is from the Bible. It is from the Bible. Both testaments. It is the scriptures that will give you all you ever need to know about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You will not learn about them in any other way. And it will take you more than one lifetime to learn all that you can. And one day when we'll see him, then the veil will be gone. We'll see him face to face and we'll learn a ton more. But I want you to know what all this knowledge is directed to. Not just content and, and, and right theology. This knowledge is directed to bring us into a close and personal, dynamic relationship with Christ himself. I come to the garden alone with the dew still on my, wherever it is, I can't remember the song right now, but... And we walk with him and we talk with him. And I know that he is my own. It's that intimacy. All this knowledge can puff up. It's got to go somewhere. It comes to intimacy. But it takes one step further. You need to understand that that kind of intimacy, intimacy will bring change in our lives. And the more we come to know Christ and how he is and what he does and what he did and who he is the more then we can become conformed to the image of Christ. That's how it happens. So Peter says, grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Would you follow his advice? Would you come to know him in this wonderful, personal, dynamic, and transforming way? If you are stagnant, do something to break it up. For when you grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ, you will grow like a weed. You will not be sucked in by false teaching, and you won't be nearly so susceptible to sin. And that's a good place to be. And so Peter, he says, the way the end times should affect you should be five ways. And I'll leave you with five words. Number one, transformation. Work diligently on transforming your life by removing the spots and the blemishes that you've got. Number two, anticipation. Eagerly await the coming of Christ and the inauguration of the eternal day of God. Number three, salvation. See the delay of Christ's return. It's the patience of God for more and more people to find salvation. Word four, complexity. Accept the fact that end times matters are difficult to understand and be leery of anyone who claims to have it all figured out. And word five, maturation. Concentrate on growing to maturity through the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so today, beloved congregation, we close the book on 2 Peter. But don't close the book on your life. Because the bottom line teaching of 2 Peter is this. And you need to live it every day. People who are truly born again, who truly know Christ, are changed people. People who truly know Christ are changed people. I cannot sit down at this point after preaching 
without offering an invitation. And so I have a twofold invitation today to you. I don't know what your heart is. God knows. You already know. And perhaps you're already feeling the convicting of the Spirit of God in your life. But invitation number one, if you've never come to know Christ as your Savior, He's waiting for you. Part of the reason that He hasn't come back is because He's got you in his sights. He loves you. He doesn't want you to perish. He wants you to come to repentance, everlasting life, and sail right on through the end times into his eternal dwellings. That's his plan for you, and so he waits for you. The second invitation is if you're a Christian and you know that you're living with spots and blemishes and you're just kind of coasting along saying, oh, well, that's okay, you know, grace will cover it or whatever like that. Uh-uh, uh-uh. You need to make some changes. If you know that sin's got a control of you, if you know that you are stuck in a rut someplace and you've got a blemish or spot, you don't want the Lord to see that when he comes. Do something about it. And so I'm going to ask you to stand in just a moment as the band comes right now. That if the Spirit of God is speaking to you for salvation, to come to Christ, or change in your Christian life because you know that you're stuck in a sinful rut or something that needs to be changed, I'm going to ask you to come. Now, this isn't a moment of embarrassing and parading in front of the church like that. It's a moment of love. It's a moment of a big step of growth for you. And we'll all rejoice that God's people, all of us, are making steps, and some of you specifically, today. So would you stand? And if you need Christ as your Savior, if you need to make some changes you know that are really important, I'm going to ask you to come. The elders are going to come right now. They're going to stand right down here with me. We'll pray with you and trust that God will affect the change that he wants to have happen in your life today. You come as we sing.